Well, good morning, church. It's, uh, yeah, it's a privilege to be here this morning, to be invited to come and uh, spend some time with you as we unpack God's Word. And so as we've prayed about, we pray that God would uh, just help us to see what Jesus is teaching us here today as we uh, look at another section of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be reading from uh, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, starting at, uh, at verse 13. And we'll go through to, uh, to verse 23. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are voracious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognise them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So we're going to wrap up these three into... Uh, basically three warnings of Jesus. You'll see that as we, as we uh, unpack these verses together. Uh, in the uh, 2021 Australian census, only 43.9% of people ticked Christian. Christian in the optional box in the, uh, in the census on religious affiliation. And that's down from 52.1% in 2016 and it's progressively been dropping down each time they do the census. And uh, while, we're, while the less people ticked the Christian box, more people ticked the box that says no religion. And when you first uh, see that census, that, that uh, statistic, you go, oh no, we're in serious trouble. But when I saw it, I thought, well, this decline in one way is a good thing. It's a good thing. Well, I mean, you can talk about a good thing because now we, we can see this is evangelistic opportunity because there's stacks of people who... Uh, who aren't Christians, but I think it's a good thing because what it's acknowledging is there's increasing authenticity as people answer the question of faith, of religious affiliation, of uh, trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. And really, that, that question that you get asked is probably one of the most important questions you could ever be asked in life, really. Are you a Christian? I'm not asking if you call yourself a Christian. I'm not asking if you ticked that box in the census that said, yeah, I think I'm a Christian. But are you really a Christian? Are you really a believer in Jesus Christ? It's funny, uh, uh, across the road we had some new neighbours come in, an older couple, and I was just over there visiting them and talking with them. And he says, he found, finds out that I'm the priest of the street. That's what they call me in our little cul-de-sac the priest, and uh, he says, oh, he said, that's fine. He said, I'm, I'm a Presbyterian. 
And I went, oh, well, that's good. We're pretty close to a Presbyterian church. Maybe you want to come and worship with us. And his response goes, well, I'm not that kind of Presbyterian. I said, well, what kind are you? And he said, well, I'm the kind that is born and was uh, baptised in the Presbyterian church. And when I'm buried, I'll be buried in, through the Presbyterian church. I said, I don't think that makes you a Presbyterian. But he, he firmly believes that he is. He would tick the box Christian because he was born into the Presbyterian church. But this is a really important question, though. Are you a Christian? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Because according to Jesus' own words, there are even people who call themselves Christian who are actually on a path to destruction. Where we are in the Sermon on the Mount is we're getting towards the end. Uh, Jesus, in some ways, is winding things up, and he's winding it up with several warnings that he brings to people, warnings to think closely about the path that we're on, uh, about the voices that we listen to, about the life that we live. And they're warnings that Jesus gives just really asking us to pause and reflect, to think about our life of discipleship, to think about the way that we're living out the Christian life, to be people of discernment and to be people of action. And so really the, the first warning that he gives is a, is a warning about the path you take in life, a warning about really that there are only two ways to live. Jesus says there in verses 13 and 14, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And you have to drop yourself back into the Greco-Roman world to understand what Jesus means by, uh, by gates and roads. In the, uh, in the Greco-Roman world, gates mark the beginning of a road. And uh, as you started on that road, you'd pass through this gate, and above it would be an inscription. Uh, there'd be words and images, really um, imperial propaganda. It was just a reminder that uh, you, as you walk on this road, you are not a free person, you're under Roman occupation, letting you know the authority that sits over you. And uh, there's, there's a great marker that we have. It doesn't tell you who's, it's not propaganda. In, well, I suppose in one way it is the Great Ocean Road. It's saying this road was built by, uh, by returning soldiers after the First World War. But it's, it's a marker that starts the road, which was what uh, you would have on roads in the Roman Empire. Inscriptions telling you about the road you're on. So when Jesus talks about passing through a gate that leads to a road and you're on a road, people understood what he was saying. And what he's saying is is, there's this clear contrast. In life, there are two and only two ways. Uh, You can travel only on one path. You can't travel on two paths. You can only pass through one gate. You can't pass through two gates. One gate is described as narrow and the other as wide. It's important that there are two and only two roads and there are only two gates. You can't choose to walk on both. You can't Uh, walk a middle road. You're either on the wide or the narrow road. Go through the wide gate or the narrow gate. And so the broad road, the broad gate, represents the way of the world. And the way Jesus describes it, it's crowded. And it doesn't take any effort, really, to walk on that broad road. It's broad in the sense that there are no boundaries. You can do whatever you like. There won't be anything particularly disturbing or difficult uh, as you go. You won't stand out as you go on that road. You can believe whatever you like. 
Uh, you can live the way you want. You can do what you want. There's no need to forgive. There's no need to give. There's no need to pray. Uh, that you do you is the mantra on this road. And it's deceptive because it seems like the best way to go. There's lots of company. It's wide. It's easy to travel. So you just take this road. But it's deceptive because it leads to destruction. In Proverbs 14 verse 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Every road goes somewhere. And literally, this broad road is, is uh, the definition of the highway to hell. What we need to pick up here is that Jesus isn't threatening us in any way, but he's just putting out there a warning. This is a road which seems harmless. It's just go with the flow. It's just enjoy life the way it is. And Jesus says it actually leads to death. It ends up crushing you. And by comparison, this narrow road is the opposite. It's restricted. It's confined. It has boundaries. And Really, those things are, are what Jesus lays out systematically as he works through and teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. And as you see what he teaches, you see that it's not an easy road. It's about being humble, poor in spirit. It's about mourning over sin. It's about meekness, submitting to God. It's about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's about continuing to shine your light in the world, to be salt in the world. It's a call to live a life without anger in your heart, to live a, a life without lust in your heart, to, to live a life without deception or without revenge in your heart. It's to live without the slightest desire for your personal glory. It's to seek the kingdom of God. It's to pray. It's to not judge. It's a road where you're required to do to others as you would have them do to you. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's not an easy road to walk. If you're anything like me, you'll, you'll find yourself stumbling and tripping on this road. You'll find yourself falling off from the side. And we realise that it's what Jesus calls us to do is difficult. And we're thankful that he walks with us as we do it. What Jesus calls us to do in many ways is countercultural. It's a tough road. It's a narrow gate. And so why is the gate narrow? Well, it's narrow because there's only one way in, and that's through Jesus. And when you say that, to many people, this idea of religious exclusiveness is, is a horrible thing. It's, it's unpopular. But it's Jesus' unswerving claim himself. In John 10, Verse 6, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And in John 14, verse 6, we know it so well, don't we? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. That sounds pretty narrow in definition and understanding, but they're the words of Jesus himself. And the gate is narrow because uh, we have to squeeze through it. When you come to God through faith in Jesus, you, you don't bring anything with you. 
There's a cost. Jesus talks about the cost in the Sermon on the Mount. You leave behind your pride. You leave behind your works, your former loyalties. You, you repent of your sin. And you come to God simply through faith in Jesus Christ alone, trusting in his work on the cross for you. And as you do that, you enter through the narrow gate. But sadly, many people, they don't want to do that. They don't want to to go through Jesus to get to God. They, they want to do it in their own way and so they'll continue on that broad road that leads to destruction. And so the question comes, why go on this narrow road? Why bother taking it? I mean, let's just go with the flow and, and do the easy thing. The answer is because it is the only road that leads to life. Both joyful life now in the work of the Spirit, through the work of the Spirit, but also eternal life in the kingdom, the, new, the restored kingdom of God. It leads to hope, it leads to grace, it leads to peace. And so it's worth, it's worth going through the gate and on that narrow road. So Jesus lays out this warning, warning about which gate are you walking through. And then he gives a warning about the prophets. It's a warning about uh, discerning the voices that you listen to. In verse 15, he says, Watch out for the false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're voracious wolves. So what Jesus is saying, uh, there will be people who miss the narrow gate and they'll miss it because of false prophets. And so Jesus says, Be aware there are false prophets. The false prophets already existed in the day of Jesus and they're certainly around today. And so a false, false prophet is anyone who would uh, claim to have been sent by God but they haven't. And I think Jesus is not really warning us against obvious false prophets or false religions and, and, uh, and teach, teaching us to go the wrong way, whether it's atheism or, uh, or Islam or, or Buddhism, those sorts of things. In a sense, we'd put them in the... Uh, obvious false paths, false teachings. But he's talking more about the subtle actions of, of some people. And his point, to make his point, he uses this metaphor about wolves in sheep's clothing. Wolves in sheep's clothing. And I think Jesus is not saying that we have amongst us necessarily wolves that are pretending to be sheep but they're pretending to be shepherds. They're pretending to be the, the ones who lead the sheep. Because in those days, the shepherds literally wore woolen clothing that came from the sheep that they cared for. And so when we, we're not reading they're dressed up as sheep, but they're dressed up in sheep's clothing. So they're dressed up in the, the robes of the shepherd, pretending to be shepherds who, who care for the flock, but they're wolves that are destroying the flock. And this threat of false prophets was nothing new for, for the people of God. Back in Jeremiah, speaking through Jeremiah, God says, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule on their own authority and my people love it so. And the New Testament 
We get a fair share of warnings about false prophets. Jesus here, but Paul often warns against those who, who step away from, from the gospel, step away from the teaching of God's word. Watch out for them. And I think never before in, in church history uh, have we witnessed such a proliferation of false teachers and preachers and prophets and the internet has, has a lot to do with that. So Jesus' warning here is appropriate for us today. And these false prophets, because they're dressed up in, in uh, sheep's clothing, uh, it, they can be popular evangelical clothing. They could have gone to prestigious seminaries or used, the, used this orthodox lingo like the gospel and trinity and kingdom of God. They may... To know, they may appear to know Scripture really well. They may know Scripture really well. But Jesus says, check them out. Check them out. Make sure they're not wolves in sheep's clothing out to hurt the flock. Tim Chalice writes this. Satan's greatest ambassadors are not pimps, politicians or power brokers, but pastors. It's always a warning to, to whoever stands up here to think about what we teach. His greatest ambassadors can be pastors. His priests do not peddle in a different religion but a deadly perversion of the true one. His troops do not make a full-out frontal assault but work as agents sneaking into the opposing army. Satan's tactics are studied, clever, predictable, effective. Therefore, we must always remain vigilant. Jesus being stark in his warning and he implores all of us to be diligent, to stay awake, to be alert. And Jesus says, well, they're hard to spot. He's warning us they're going to be hard to spot. And they're likely easy to listen to. And so Jesus gives some guidelines on what to look for. He says, by their fruit you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. This is by their fruit you will recognize them. That's not straightforward because fruit will take time to ripen. But Jesus says, your responsibility is to check the fruit. Check the fruit of even of me up here as a pastor. Check, uh, check that what is said lines up with the word of God. And so the responsibility is that each person is themselves immersed in the word of God so they can recognize what is true and what is false. And Jesus says, check out their fruit. Check out the fruit of character. What kind of people are they? Are they people of integrity? Are they loving? Are they caring? Do they really want to nurture the flock for themselves? Check their fruit of conduct. Are they people who seek to do the Father's will? You know, they won't be perfect, they'll make mistakes, but there shouldn't be a, a, a pattern of deliberate deception. How are they known? Are they known for their humble repentance, their dependence on God? Do they practice what they preach? The fruit of conduct, the fruit of their teaching. You see, one thing about... Uh, false teachers is that they can claim an authority apart from the Bible. And so are they teaching apart from the Bible? Are they teaching about Jesus in ways that is consistent with the Bible? Who are they pointing to? Are they pointing more to themselves or to Jesus? Are they pointing more to you and what you can get 
or to Jesus? What's the fruit of their influence? What are the, their followers, the people that belong to, to their flock, are they obedient, are they disobedient? Check the fruit of influence. And so the warning, there's a warning there from Jesus to us. You, you can't, can't just uh, listen to every preacher or teacher on the internet. You can't just read every book that promises you spiritual growth. You can't just go to any church or any meeting or listen to any kind of Christian music, music that claims to be Christian. Jesus says, check it out. Check it out. Make sure it lines up with this, the word of God, and not an authority outside it. And it's, it's nothing new. The false teachers have been around in, in Jeremiah again. God says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the, false, uh, what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says, you'll have peace. And all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. In the New Testament, we get this warning, Paul writing to Timothy, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. It's a warning from Jesus. A false prophet is anyone who misguides you about the truth of the gospel, who leads you away from God's word. They can include anyone who comes and speaks in the name of the Lord, whether it's a pastor or a Christian teacher, an evangelist, a preacher. Jesus says, be discerning. Know what this says so you can hear what is false. Because these teachers will deceive you. They sound good. Their teaching's attractive. But they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And he gives a final warning this one about our witness, about deceiving ourselves through a false testimony. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. First up, I think there are some things we should conclude that Jesus is not saying. He's not saying that we need to get rid of professions of faith or creeds or testimonies. We're not being told that uh, addressing Jesus as Lord is wrong. We're not being told that uh, our works justify or earn our entrance into heaven. But these words of Jesus are shocking, aren't they? They're, they're, they're frightening words. I never knew you. Because Jesus is saying there's a right way to think you're on the sorry, there's a way to think that you're on the right road, doing all the right things, but you're misled. And you're not necessarily lured away by the things of this world on the wide road. Uh, you're not necessarily uh, misled by false teachers, but here Jesus says, by your own false witness, your own false testimony of Jesus. He's saying you, you can be self-deceived. 
Here are people who call Jesus Lord. They're not ashamed of the name of Christ. They're people who, who preached in Jesus' name. They drove out demons in Jesus' name. They worked miracles in Jesus' name. And yet Jesus says, I don't know you. I mean, what's going on? And one of the things we, the first thing we need to pick up is notice that how they appeal to Jesus on Judgment Day, on that last day. They don't appeal to Jesus because of who he is or because of what he has done for them, but they appeal to Jesus on the basis of what they have done. They've done these great works, but Jesus says that does not qualify as being my Father's will. And what are the works that are the Father's will? Again, we can't take these verses out of the Sermon on the Mount. It all links together. What's the Father's will? Poverty of spirit, mourning for sin, meekness, hunger for righteousness, mercy, purity of heart, truth-telling, self-sacrifice, love for one's enemy, and the rest of Jesus' teaching through the Sermon on the Mount. But you think, how, how, how can people be so self-deceived so that I can think this through myself? Well, Don Carson, in his commentary, puts it this way. It's not so much that the false claimant lulls himself into spiritual apathy as that he mistakes loud profession and supernatural, almost magical formulations and experiences for true spirituality and genuine godliness. Obedience is neglected. The pressure of the spectacular has excluded the stability of growing conformity to the Father's will. Because he seems to be getting results, immediate results, spectacular results, he feels he's close to the centre of true religion. His success indices are soaring. God must be blessing him. Surely God will understand and sympathise if there's not always enough time for prayer or self-examination or conscious repentance. It's the results that are the important thing. Convincing themselves that their success-orientated spectacular victories are more important than the nitty-gritty of constant discipleship. They're doing lots of things. But they miss out on humbling themselves before God. They miss out on a relationship with Jesus and they're more focused on the spectacular. These are people who really thought they were going to heaven. They thought they, they were the real thing. They really thought that their words and deeds would be enough. But Jesus sends them away. And so we're reminded, we're warned that entering the kingdom of God is not dependent on what you do, but on who Jesus is to you. What counts is knowing Jesus and him knowing you. Because Jesus, after more than just a, a verbal profession or a public profession, uh, he doesn't want you just to use his name, to drop his name in, in conversations. He doesn't want you just ticking a box in the census. He's interested in you, and in your heart. And so he warns, warns us to be, that it's possible to be self-deceived. And so to consider our own hearts and our own lives and what it means to follow Jesus because that's basically what he's been working through in the Sermon on the Mount, spending time explaining to people what it means to follow him. 
And so as he begins to wrap it up, he issues three warnings about three ways that we can be deceived. We can be deceived by the world. We can be deceived by false teachers. We can be deceived by our own, uh, our own self-deception, really. And so there's a warning. There's a warning that we should take seriously as we evaluate our lives. You say, well, how do I do that? How do I know? Because the question is, are you a disciple of Jesus? And so as you unpack these warnings, are you taking the narrow road? Have you entered through the narrow gate and submitted yourself to Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour? Do you have fruit in your life, fruit of character? Are you you doing the will of your Father? Are you, most, most importantly, are you clinging to Christ? Because we need Christ. We need to... Uh, acknowledge our desperate need of salvation through Jesus. We need um, to know and understand and hold on to our justification through his death and resurrection. We need to truly surrender our lives to Jesus, to believe in him, not only to call him Lord, but to obey him as Lord. And we need Christ. We need the Holy Spirit because consistent discipleship is hard. It's hard because the road is narrow. It's hard because false teachers abound. It's hard because we can be self-righteous and self-deceived. But we need Christ. Not just say he's Lord, but submit our lives to him as Lord. And when we do that, we find strength for the journey on the narrow road, the road that leads to eternal life. Let's pray together. Loving Father in heaven, as we, as we uh, hear this teaching of Jesus, we find it hard. It's hard to stay on the narrow path. In fact, it's impossible for us to stay on the narrow path. We need Christ. We need the forgiveness of sin that comes through him because only then can we go through the narrow gate onto the narrow path. And so we again acknowledge Jesus Christ as Saviour. We acknowledge our need of him and we humble ourselves before you. Father, for those who have not found the gate that leads to life, we pray that through the work of your Holy Spirit you will lead them to the narrow gate. Walk with them on the narrow path. And Lord, it's hard because there are so many voices, so many voices in our world speaking in your name. And Lord, we acknowledge that we we can be easily deceived by nice-sounding words, ear-tickling words. So we pray that you give us discernment. Pray that you uh, teach us. Teach us as we immerse ourselves in your word what is true and what is right. Lord, it's hard also when we acknowledge that we can be self-righteous and self-deceived. We can at times pat ourselves on the back and we can say, Lord, we're doing okay. You must be pleased with us. So we pray that you forgive us for self-righteousness, humble us, reshape us through your Holy Spirit. We pray that you lead us back to the cross. Lead us to the cross where our sin is nailed, where our souls are healed. Remind us that we're not condemned because of Jesus Christ. 
And so we pray, Father, through the, the power of your Holy Spirit, you help us to walk the narrow road into eternal life. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jim. Please stand uh, and let's.